0: I don't know if you realise, but we're still in the season of Easter. Easter is a season. It's not just a one-off event. And uh, over the last few weeks, we've been uh, looking at some of the uh, resurrection appearances of Jesus. And uh, this morning, uh, we're looking at that resurrection appearance of Jesus uh, by the Sea of Tiberias and and Jesus uh, reinstating Peter. I wonder whether there's anybody here this morning uh, that has ever made a mess of anything. Anybody here this morning that's ever made a mess of anything? One or two. Well, more than one or two, quite a few. Uh, Anybody here this morning who's ever made a mistake? Anybody here this morning that's ever made a mistake? Yeah? Yeah? Anybody here this morning... uh, who would love to have a second chance, or a, a third chance, or a, a fourth chance? Anybody feel that that would be uh, of benefit to them? Yeah, one or two. Well, let me tell you, uh, if you're fitted into any of those categories, uh, this story is for you. This story is for you this morning. If you, if you put your hand up, or in your heart you said yes to any of those categories, uh, then this is a story for you. So uh, to listen in. Uh, to what Jesus has to say, and whoops uh, uh, we're still on the uh, we 've done that bit haven 't we okay okay so uh, so after the miraculous catch of fish that uh, that we saw uh, jesus uh, he calls Peter to one side. And, uh, and he wants to have a word with him. He wants to speak to him. And, uh, and what, uh, what Jesus wants to do is, uh, is wants to help uh, Peter in leaving the past behind. He wants to help Peter in leaving the past behind. Because uh, Peter had a past, just like you and I had a past. And, uh, and Jesus wants to deal with that... And so that Peter can move on. And so that Peter can live again. And, uh, and Jesus does that uh, by asking him questions. And of course in asking those questions he's taking uh, Peter back. In order to be able to deal with the past. Because there's a sense in which uh, Peter was living in the past. I don't know whether whether you uh, experience uh, something like that. Things happen in the past that you just can't uh, forget. Uh, maybe mistakes, things that have gone wrong, uh, that still live w- with you and hold you back. And the sense in which uh, Peter needed to be able to put the past behind him. But he wasn't the only one. Um, John tells us in the beginning of, of chapter 21 uh, that there were several of the disciples uh, that gathered together um, around uh, the Sea of uh, uh, Tiberias. There was Peter, who had obviously uh, denied Jesus three times. Um, there was uh, Thomas, who we know had uh, doubted that Jesus uh, had risen. Uh, and then there was—we're uh, told that there was Nathaniel. Remember, he was the one that said, "You know, can anything uh, uh, good come out of uh, Nazareth?" and uh, then there was uh, James and John, the sons of thunder, and uh, two other disciples. And all these disciples uh, needed to know how to leave the past behind. They all had a past, and they needed to leave it behind. Because um, Peter, as 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 we saw, demonstrated with the with the children. Uh, he decided uh, that he was going fishing. And of course, that's what Peter did in the past. He was a fisherman. And there's a sense in which um, Peter uh, went back to something that he was familiar with. Maybe something that he was comfortable with. Maybe something that he thought he could he could do well. You know, I've tried being a, a disciple. And to be honest, I've made a bit of a mess of it. Uh, but I know how to fish. or he thought he knew how to fish. And uh, he took some of the disciples with him. They said, we'll come too. And they went out and they fished all night. And they didn't catch anything. And then, as we uh, saw wonderfully uh, acted out by Gene, uh, you know, when we're giving out the Oscars later in the year, you're going to be up there, Gene, uh, with that wonderful performance. Uh, suddenly, Jesus appears uh, by the sea. And uh, he calls out to so the disciples: caught any fish. What do you think was the last question the disciples wanted to hear? Uh, they'd been fishing all night. And they hadn't caught anything. And the last question they wanted to be asked was, have you got any fish? They didn't want to talk about the fact they didn't have any fish. They wanted to talk about how hard they'd been laboring. They wanted to talk about the ones that had got away. About how how the weather had turned and, and, and altered and how they hadn't been able to find the fish. They didn't want to admit defeat and failure. And so often that's what we do, isn't it? Uh... There are questions that we don't want to be asked about us. There are questions that we we fear people asking because it opens up inside us, things that we don't want to have opened up. We want to keep it buried down. Well, remember that Jesus is going to be helping Peter uh, to leave the past behind him. And uh, the disciples say no. And of course, that's the first step, isn't it? Admitting no, we haven't caught anything. One of the first uh, steps that we can take uh, in dealing with failure and, and hurts and things. Is it just admitting what's happened and being honest and uh, not pretending um, that things aren't as they are? And the disciples, to their credit, they say, no, we haven't caught any fish. And, of course, Jesus gives them this advice to cast the nets on the other side of the boat. And, of course, we know the story. We saw, those, uh, we saw all those fish and... Uh, We saw saw what happens when people listen to Jesus and follow his uh, instructions. This is what I call effective networking. He didn't really say that. That's just a little cartoon. But what John did say, when he saw the fish, he said, it's the Lord. Now, John's an interesting character, isn't he? Um, Because... It wasn't that he suddenly recognised Jesus on the beach. It was when he saw the catch of fish. He was looking down at the fish when he when he turned to Peter and he said, It's the Lord. He had got that déjà vu feeling. I've been here before. I recognize what's going on. I think John seems to be, I mean, you'll have noticed that John's gospel is very different than Matthew, Mark, Luke and, Matthew, Mark and Luke. It's a different kind of gospel. Uh, John seemed to be able to see things that other people couldn't see. Do you remember uh, when Peter and John rushed to the tomb, the empty tomb? You know, Mary had told them, nobody believed them, not just Thomas. Nobody believed them. Peter and John rushed to the tomb. John goes inside and it's when he sees the empty grave clothes that he believes. John seemed to be able to see things that other people didn't see. It wasn't that he saw Jesus, he saw the empty grave clothes and he could read what was going on. He had that insight to be able to see, this is Jesus at work and it was the same with the fish. This is Jesus at work. Sometimes we look at things and we don't all see the same thing, do we? I came across this uh, little story about Sherlock Holmes and and, and Dr. Watson. Uh, They went on a camping trip. And uh, after a good meal and a bottle of uh, of wine, they lay down for the night and went to sleep. Some hours later, Holmes uh, awoke and nudged his faithful friend. And he said, Watson, look up at the sky and tell me what you see. Watson replied, I see millions and millions of stars. Yes, said Holmes, but what does that tell you? Watson pondered for a, a minute, and he says, Well, astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and that we are small and insignificant. And meteorologically, I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. Felt rather pleased with himself, Watson, and he turned to, to Holmes, and he says... Well, Holmes, what does it tell you? Holmes was silent for a moment and said, it tells me that somebody has stolen our tent. <laughs> we can look at an event, we can look at something, and we might not all see the same thing. John looks at the fish and he says, straight away, it's the Lord. I wonder whether we have that capacity to recognise when Jesus is at work. Because like uh, many of the disciples, um, We believe or we doubt that Jesus is risen and alive, but can we recognize Jesus at work in the world? Do we see things and we say, it's Jesus, it's the Lord, because we recognize that Jesus is in this. I guess some of us have that capacity, that capability, like John. He recognized that Jesus was alive because he saw the catch. They'd been there before. It brought something back into his mind. And so leaving the past behind. If we want to move forward. We've got to recognise that the past. It can hold us back. It can immobilise us. It can sap us of energy. It can freeze us into activity. The past can hurt us. Things that have happened in the past. Can still hurt us uh, in the present. If we allow them to got a little video clip I'd like to show you that, that demonstrates it. Some of you will be familiar with the film The Lion King. Now, one of my favourite moments from uh, the film The Lion King. Uh, you know, what was that? It doesn't matter. It was in the past. Well, actually, the past does matter, doesn't it? Because the past, has, as uh, Simba says to him, the past can hurt us. Uh, even if we're not hit over the head with it, it can hurt us. Because, uh, because we still carry the past with us, the things that have happened to us that have harmed us. And we have to learn, we have to, to, to do that. We have to learn from the past and not allow the past to hold us back. And there's a sense in which we do need to leave the past behind. Now, it can be a positive past, or it can be a negative past. And it can still immobilize us. You know, you'll hear people that are always reminiscing about how great the past was, never mind the failures about the past, how wonderful the past was, and in comparison, you know, the future's not as good. The present's not as good. And, and you can live in the past in, in that sense. And that can just be as, as harmful as, as some of the more painful things that happen to us Is the past. The sense in which we have to, you know, recognize that the past has gone. We can't do anything. We cannot change the past. But we can learn from it. We can learn from the experience. And we can leave it behind and stop it continuing to hurt us. And the disciples are suddenly uh, jolted into the presence because they recognize that Jesus is with them. And they go from leaving the past behind to living in the present. They're suddenly living in the present. And once again, Peter is out of the boat. Peter's the disciple that was always jumping out of the boat. And he's out of the boat and he's running to Jesus. And he can't wait to get to Jesus. He's living in the present. Jesus is with them. You know, sometimes you're with people and you know they're not really present with you. They're somewhere else. Maybe they're living in the past. Maybe they're worrying about the past. Maybe they're thinking about the future. But they're not present with you in that moment. And in that moment, suddenly the disciples realize that Jesus is with them and that changes everything. And Peter can't wait, he jumps out of the boat and he runs to jesus uh, the other disciples catch catch up and they bring the the uh, the, the, the the haul of fish onto the beach and uh, and they count the fish how many fish did we say it was did we decide did we get there with we 52 150, 153 fish ever wonder about that you know why 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 did john record that the fact there were 153 fish, theologians ponder and and wonder uh, about this. And I, I thought I would share a couple of theories with you because I know you like that kind of thing. Um, you know, uh, a guy called Augustine. This was his theory. You'll have to kind of listen carefully and, and and try and follow this because his theory is this: there were there were ten commandments, okay, and uh, you know seven is the perfect number uh, of grace. And uh, ten and seven, seven is, is seventeen. Julie's with me because she's good at maths. Now, if you add all the numbers uh, from one to seventeen, what do you get, Julie? <laughs> <laughs> Hazard a guess. One hundred fifty-three. Spot on. How did you? What a math! Give her a round of applause. What a remarkable mind yes if you if you count all the numbers from 1 to 17 add them all together you come to 153 i see you amazed not only that if you arrange them like this uh you know 1 2 3 4 5 6 uh, 7 you, you get the perfect triangle and we know that triangle reminds us of three things uh, the uh, the trinity uh, jesus was raised on the third day this was the third appearance of Jesus. Yeah, these things are working together. Maybe Augustine had something in it. Uh, Jerome, the early church father, uh, he had another theory. It was said that among the Greeks, it was widely regarded that there were 153 kinds of fish in the sea. Of course, modern science has has proved that not to be correct, but that's what they thought in in those days. And that the 153 uh, different kind of, of, of species was symbolic of the church reaching all the people in the world. Two theories. There's lots of other theories that you could read about. If you Google 153 fish, you'll get all sorts of interesting theories and you could spend the rest of the day uh, looking at them. I've got another theory. Uh, mine's a bit more simpler. You know, you know fishermen? Uh, they're always talking about the size of the fish. You, know, it was, you should have seen the one that got away. It was this big. I think it was such a wonderful cast that somebody said, hey, let's count this uh, not quite as uh, interesting as the others, but that's my theory. But numbers are important, aren't they? Uh, numbers are important. You know, was it a good event? Well, how many people came? Uh, you know, how many people have, have joined the church? Numbers are important, aren't they, to us? Uh, we are very often judge things by numbers, don't we? We judge the success of an event by the number of people that came and the failure of an event by a number of people that didn't come. And, uh, you know, there'll always be people that are uh, counting heads. I had one guy in one church that every Sunday he counted the people. He'd come up to me afterwards, you know, and say, so, 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 so many people here, there's so many up this week, or so many down this week, and every week he'd, he'd tell me. It could be encouraging, it could be discouraging, depending on the figure. But we know that numbers matter, don't we? And uh, But what matters here is that Jesus had provided this wonderful catch, and it had somehow enable them to be alive in the presence because Jesus was once again with them. And when Jesus is with us and we recognize his presence, it does bring us alive. And we don't always recognize his presence with us, do we? Sometimes it feels like Jesus has abandoned us, that God is not with us. But the disciples knew that Jesus was with them and they, he was present with them. So uh, leaving the past behind, living in the presence. And then, of course, uh, Jesus. We go back to where we started. Jesus has his conversation uh, with Peter, and this is about looking to the future. And of course, um, Jesus asks um, Peter three times, painfully, uh, to deal with those three denials. And it's interesting, isn't it? It says Peter was hurt because Jesus. Asked him a third time. It can be painful dealing with the past. But we have to deal with the past if we want to have a future with Jesus. We have to recognize the things in the past that have hurt us, that are things in the past that are holding us back. And we have to deal with them if we want to look to the future. Peter's past, of course, was round another charcoal fire. When Jesus had been arrested and three times, just as Jesus said, somebody asked him, aren't you one of the disciples? And he had said, no. And he thought that was it. He thought he had blown it. He thought his discipleship was over because having said all the right things that he was going to follow Jesus to death, he had failed. And he went away with his tail between his legs. And Jesus comes and he pulls him to one side. But there's been other clues, hasn't there? There's been other clues uh, if Peter had been on the ball that it wasn't over. Because do you remember um, in, uh, in, in Mark's gospel, when Mark talks about the resurrection and he has the angel appearing and saying, he has risen, he's not here, see the place where they laid him, but go and tell his disciples and Peter. Go and tell his disciples and Peter actually highlights Peter. Uh, Max Lucado in his book, No Wonder They Call Him Saviour, uh, picks out on this and he talks about this, this and he says, what a line, it's as if heaven had watched Peter fall and it's if all heaven wanted to help him back up again. Be sure and tell Peter he's not left out. Tell him that one failure does not make a flop. Phew, no wonder they call it the gospel of the second church. There'd always been hints and clues that it wasn't over for Peter. Tell the disciples and Peter, it ain't over. You're still included. There's still a place for you. Maybe some people need to hear that this morning. Uh, It isn't over. Uh, God hasn't finished with you. He's still got a plan for you. He's still got a future for you. Past failures are not final. Uh, As long as we're able to leave the past behind and live in the present and look to the future. Um, Michael Card, more famous for his singing than his writing, wrote a book about Peter. And interestingly, you know, Jesus gave uh, Peter the name The Rock and said, on this rock I will build this church. And we tend to think of rock as being something solid. And it's interesting that he gives uh, the title, A Fragile Stone, The Emotional Life of Peter. And he says this about Simon Peter. He says... Now he understands that his position of leadership is founded not on his strength, but on his brokenness. Peter's position of leadership is going to be founded not on his strength, but on the fact that he was a broken man. And yet Jesus could still use him. He'd reached that point where he realized on his own he couldn't do it, he couldn't cope. You know, sometimes people say, don't they, you know, I can't cope anymore. I can't manage. And we see that as a negative thing, but we can actually turn it around on its head and say, well, when you reach that point of, of realising that you can't cope on your own, it's then that God can do something because you realise that you need somebody else. And Peter was a broken man, and yet Jesus calls him alongside, speaks those words to him. And Peter can be sure that his leadership is not going to be founded on his strength. But on his brokenness, the fact that he was broken, and Jesus can use broken people. So if you're here this morning and you feel broken, you know, Jesus can still use you. Jesus can still use you. Looking to the future. Uh, Rob Bell, a friend of Lum Baptist Church. Some of us went to uh, hear him. Uh, a couple of weeks ago in Manchester, he says in his new book, what we talk about when we talk about God, he says, and so when I'm talking about God, I'm talking about a Jesus who invites us to embrace our weakness and doubts and anger and whatever pain and helplessness we're carrying around, offering it up in all its mystery to God, trusting that in the same way that Jesus' offering of his body and blood brings us new life, this present pain and brokenness can also be turned into something new. When we have something that's broken, very often we throw it away. What Jesus does is he puts the pieces back together and he can use us. And it's that same idea of something new coming out of something that's being broken. Sometimes we have to be broken before God can use us. Because if we think we can do it on our, in our own strength, in our own abilities, um, we're, not, we're not going to be able to. It's only when God breaks us that he can then use us. Looking to the future. And notice the question and the way it's phrased. Simon, son of John. Gives him his full title. You know, when do we, when, when do we give people their full titles? When do we do that? Well, we do it at very significant events, don't we? We do it at weddings. I've got my tongue tied up in all sorts of places with people with unusual middle names and, uh, and people with four or five names in, in the wedding. But we use people's full titles, don't we? We use people's full titles in important occasions. And what Jesus is doing here. He's not just reinstating Peter, he's recommissioning Peter. He's calling him again and he's using that full title because this is a significant moment in his life. And he says, Simon, son of John. And then what's the question that he asks him? Do you truly love me? That's what Jesus is interested in. We think we we come to, to God and to church with all the baggage and uh, we think that God's waiting to hit us over the head, and and to and when and we we feel awful about ourselves. And the question that Jesus asks us is, "Do you still love me?" That's what Jesus is interested in. Simon, son of John, do you love me? He asks him three times, "Do you still love me?" And each time Peter responds, "Yes, you know I do." If you love Jesus, God can use you. If you can say yes to that question, then God can use you. Whether you're broken, whether you you feel that you've got no gifts or abilities, whether you look and notice Peter, uh, he's quick to look at John and says, what about him? We spend a lot of time, don't we, comparing ourselves with other people and very often we look at other people and think, oh, if only I could have their life, if only I could be like them, if only I had their gifts, if only I had their money. Um, Jesus is just interested, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? And his leadership, Peter's going to, Jesus is going to build his church on this broken man, this fragile stone, because he is broken, but because he still loves Jesus. And however broken we are, however the past affects us, we can leave it behind. If we, like Peter, can say, Yes, you know that I love you, even though. This, that, and the other. And Peter is reinstated. And Jesus says, follow me. Which, of course, was his original call by the sea, by the lake of Galilee. The first, thing, the first time Peter met Jesus, that's what Jesus said. Leave your nets and follow me. And Peter did in all his enthusiasm. And he uh, put his foot in it and made a mess of it so many times. And Jesus comes alongside him reinstates him and says, I still give you that call to follow me. And hear that call this morning because Jesus wants you to follow him in your brokenness, in your hurt, in your pain. And Jesus can help you leave that behind. It isn't that the past still isn't going to hurt us. But with Jesus, we have a future. Peter's future wasn't that bright, to be honest. Jesus... Paints a picture of what's going to happen to Peter. And, you know, we shouldn't shy away of saying, you know, following Jesus isn't easy. There will be difficult days ahead. Uh, Hopefully we're not going to be crucified for our faith. But we don't know what the future holds for us. And we're not promised a bright, rosy future. Well, we are promised a bright, rosy future, but in the next life. We're not promised that we won't be spared from pain and hardship and difficulties. And Jesus actually spells out, doesn't he, that Peter will end up following, doing the very thing that he said he was going to do when they met around the table. I'll follow you even to death. Peter didn't know how true those words were going to be. But he thought he'd made a mess of it. He thought he'd blown it. And Jesus gives him a second chance. And Jesus wants to give you a second chance this morning but the question he asks you is do you love me and hear your name hear your full name being said do you love me and answer as you will let's pray